This is Dr. Samantha Shapiro, Executive Editor of Harrison's Principles of Internal Medicine. Harrison's Pod Class is brought to you by McGraw-Hill's Access Medicine, the online medical resource that delivers the latest trusted content from the best minds in medicine. And now, on to the episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Harrison's Pod Class. We're your co-hosts. I'm Dr. Kathy Handy. And I'm Dr. Charlie Weiner, and we're joining you from the Johns Hopkins School of Medicine. Welcome to episode 116, a 35-year-old with an elevated BMI. Kathy, today's patient is a 35-year-old woman with, who uh, comes as a new patient in clinic because she recently obtained health insurance and she wants to establish primary care. She reports that while she's always been overweight, she's never required hospitalization. She works as a food server, does not smoke, does not use alcohol, and does not use illicit drugs. She's of Eastern European descent and has a strong family history of hypertension, diabetes, and cardiovascular disease. She's been sexually active since the age of 18 and has never been pregnant while using barrier contraceptives. On physical examination, she's five foot seven with a BMI of 33 and a waist circumference of 40 inches. Her only abnormality on physical examination is a blood pressure of 140 over 90 in both arms. So based on what you told me about her history and physical so far, some things to note are her elevated BMI, the elevated blood pressure, and elevated waist circumference. So I'm pointing out those because those are two of the criteria for metabolic syndrome with central obesity based on her waist circumference and the hypertension. So there are other criteria that would be um, fasting glucose, HDL, and triglycerides that we should also check. Well, you're thinking clearly, and uh, her primary is thinking similarly. So a fasting blood sample reveals a glucose of 130 milligrams per deciliter, an HDL of 30 milligrams per deciliter, and triglycerides of 180 milligrams per deciliter. So she really meets the um, full criteria or all of the criteria for metabolic syndrome. So her waist circumference is over 80 centimeters. Her blood pressure is over 135 over 85. Fasting glucose is elevated above 100. HDL is low, less than 40, and triglycerides are high at greater than 150. Okay, well, before we get to the question, let's talk a little bit more about the metabolic syndrome. All right, well, we just went over the criteria, and the metabolic syndrome consists of a constellation of metabolic abnormalities that confer an increased risk of cardiovascular disease and diabetes, in addition to other complications. Central adiposity is a key feature of the syndrome, and the syndrome's prevalence reflects the strong relationship between waist circumference and increasing adiposity. There's been a concerning increase in the prevalence globally with increase in globalization and the obesity epidemic, and some estimates in the U.S. have a prevalence of 30 to 35 percent, and maybe even more concerning is the rising prevalence in children. But this is not just a U.S. problem. As I mentioned, it's happening globally. What's the pathogenesis of the metabolic syndrome? You mentioned uh, adiposity, but what's the pathogenesis therefore? The most accepted and unifying hypothesis to describe the pathophysiology of the metabolic syndrome is insulin resistance, caused systemically by an incompletely understood defect in insulin action. So the onset of insulin resistance is heralded by postprandial hyperinsulinemia, which is followed by fasting hyperinsulinemia and ultimately by hyperglycemia. 
Excess free fatty acids released from the expanded adipose tissue mass may be the driver of the insulin resistance through their effects in the liver, muscle, and pancreas. They also may contribute to the pro-inflammatory, sympathomimetic, and pro-thrombotic states often seen in the metabolic syndrome. So it all seems to start with the central obesity and our greater understanding that adipose tissue is not at all metabolically inert, as many of us were taught in medical school, right? That's true. Okay, well, let's get to the question. The question asks, based on your diagnosis, in addition to an increased risk of diabetes and cardiovascular disease, this patient is also at increased risk of all of the following except A, Alzheimer's disease, B, gout, C, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, D, obstructive sleep apnea, and E, polycystic ovarian syndrome. The question highlights just how serious a threat the metabolic syndrome is. And the answer, though, is A. So while she's at increased risk of gout, she's at increased risk of non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, obstructive sleep apnea, and polycystic ovarian syndrome, outside the increased risk of cerebrovascular disease, patients with metabolic syndrome do not appear to have an increased risk of Alzheimer's disease. Okay, that's a, only a small consolation, So, let, but let's go through these quickly and discuss them very quickly. These patients typically have hyperuricemia due to defects in insulin action on the renal tubular reabsorption of uric acid. So that's what puts them at risk of gout. There's also a clear association with non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, also likely related to the insulin resistance. And as we've discussed before, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease is rapidly increasing in global prevalence and may lead to steatohepatitis, cirrhosis, and hepatocellular carcinoma. What about obstructive sleep apnea and polycystic ovary syndrome? Obstructive sleep apnea is commonly associated with all the features of the metabolic syndrome, namely obesity, hypertension, increased circulating cytokines, impaired glucose tolerance, and insulin resistance. When the biomarkers of insulin resistance are compared between patients with obstructive sleep apnea and weight match controls, insulin resistance is found to be more severe in those with apnea. Continuous positive airway pressure treatment improves insulin sensitivity in patients who do have obstructive sleep apnea. So there's clearly some interaction between the two disorders. Okay, and finally, polycystic ovarian syndrome. The polycystic ovarian syndrome is highly associated with insulin resistance and the metabolic syndrome. So this patient should definitely be evaluated for both obstructive sleep apnea and polycystic ovaries. Okay, so the teaching points of today's case are that the metabolic syndrome is characterized by central obesity, along with hypertension, hyperglycemia, and lipid abnormalities. The prevalence of the metabolic syndrome is increasing alarmingly in the U.S. and in the rest of the world, and is a substantial threat to morbidity and mortality because of its strong association with diabetes, cardiovascular, liver, respiratory, and other diseases. And to learn more about this, you can refer to the chapter on metabolic syndrome. Thanks for listening to Harrison's Pod Class. You can listen to this episode and more on accessmedicine.com, which includes the complete Harrison's Principles of Internal Medicine text, Harrison's Review Questions, which complement and expand upon the questions in this episode, and much more. Accessmedicine.com may already be available to you via your academic institution. Check it out.